Well, I'd like to welcome you once again to Graceland Baptist Church. Man, what a pleasure it is for me to be speaking with you this morning. I am Ryan Brown, so I serve here at Graceland as one of the pastors and get to be with the youth. And so it's quite a joy. So that means middle school, high school, and our college-age students. And we had our FNX all-nighter. And this is the third year out of six years that I've been here that I've preached on the all-nighter. So our church loves me so much. Um, <laughs> But this morning, as we, uh, as we enter into a time where we get to open God's word, um, I don't take this for granted. It's precious to me. And so I, I, I hope that, that it's precious to you as well. Um, in fact, today, I would love for your affections for Jesus Christ to either begin or to grow because God's word can move and pierce the heart of its hearers. And so... Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good. And we praise your name. And this morning, as we open your word, may it speak so mightily that we would be changed, that we would be transformed, God, that we would be moved to action. We do this as an offering to you. We do this as praise to you. And God, I pray that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word. It's all in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So one of my all-time favorite movies, and, and definitely, um, I would say, the best Disney animated movie ever is The Lion King. All right? Anybody a Lion King fan? Come on. Yeah. All right. I know some of you young ones, that was in the 90s, you're like, The Lion King? I don't know what that is. But The Lion King's amazing, in my opinion. All right, first of all, the music. So it's got... Um, it starts off with a circle of life. It's got, I just can't wait to be king, Hakuna Matata, can you feel the love tonight? Just good stuff, right? All right, and then next, the storyline. It's a story of redemption. Who doesn't love a story of redemption? So many characters are redeemed in this movie, but especially the main character, Simba. It's got other great, great themes in it as well. It's got laughter with Timon and Pumbaa. Um, it's got sadness, which I'll, I'll talk about in a minute. And then it has love, just a thread, you know, all across the whole movie. Now, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is, is kind of towards the beginning. Um, Mufasa, who is the king over the pride lands, um, he tells his son Simba, he says, hey, all this stuff that you can see, this is yours. This is your land. But just beyond that, I don't want you to go there. All right, you don't need to go there. And so just like any young boy, as soon as his father tells him that, what's he do? But he's like, I'm going to go over there. You know, he grabs his friend Nala and, and together the two of them, they walk outside of the pride lands to this elephant graveyard. And at this point in the story, Simba, he's walking very confidently. All right. Because he's together. He's there with his friend. But as the scene kind of progresses, um, some hyenas, they begin to chase him and they corner him in the elephant graveyard. All right. And it's here that Simba, he, he's still very confident. He's puffing his chest out. You know, he's stepping into confidence for Nala at this time. And then he lets out this roar. If you've seen the movie, you know, it's this little tiny baby roar. Right. And the hyenas, they laugh at him. They're like, is that all you got? Do it again. You know, and then next thing we know that this loud, booming, thundering roar. And you think it's Simba for a moment. But next thing, Mufasa jumps in at his dad and he takes care of all of the hyenas. Um, from that moment and during that moment, Simba, he's still walking confidently because of his dad and who he's walking with, who he's together with. 
Then we fast forward a little bit in the movie into one of the most heartbreaking moments in all of cinematic history, I would, I would argue. Um, but Simba, Simba's in trouble, all right? He's, he's, he's going to die. And what happens is Mufasa, he steps in, he sacrifices his life for his son Simba, all right? And from this moment, Simba now, he feels completely alone. Where he was walking in confidence together with people, he's now alone. And because of this, he decides that he's going to run away. So he leaves the pride lands feeling completely alone. And now there's this division that exists because he's left his home. There's this division that exists with his family, with everything around him, and he goes away. Maybe, maybe this morning, as I'm telling you this story, you can relate a little bit to Simba. At one point in your life, you were walking confidently with some other people, but now for some reason or another, you feel some sort of loneliness, or maybe you feel some sort of division. And there are several reasons maybe that you might feel this way. One, maybe it's because of a relationship. You've got a relationship that has meant so much to you, maybe a spouse, maybe a parent, a child, or a friend, and that relationship's been broken, and now you feel this loneliness or you feel this division. Or maybe for you, it's at work. At work, you've, you've got one supervisor that's saying one thing, you've got another who's saying something else, and at work, there's just this huge division. And because of this, there's no confidence at all, no direction of where anyone should be going. Maybe for you students, it's at school. You've got a friend group, and it's just kind of broken, and because of this, there's division or loneliness, or it's on a ball team. Maybe for some of you, it's right here at church. Your small group's divided. Or maybe right now you say, hey, we don't have a pastor. And before, and in other churches when there's no pastor, I've seen division just rise up. Maybe for some of you, you've walked in today and you just, you have this division with God himself. You feel alone, completely alone. I think we can all relate at some point. But this morning, I want to tell you that you can walk in confidence and one way that we need to walk in confidence is to do it together, to do it together. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. You can open up your smartphone or your tablet. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's one right there in the pew in front of you. Pull it out. I'll be preaching from the NIV translation, which should match the Bible there. But as you're flipping there, let me recap for you just a little bit. Maybe you've missed one of the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, our ministries and missions, Pastor Larry Riley, he spoke um, through Matthew chapter 8. And he told us that we can walk in confidence because in, in the storms of life because of who Jesus is. All right, and we looked at the story of when Jesus calms the storm. Last week, we were in Romans chapter 8 in the last few verses. And he impacted for us the fact that because of the presence of Jesus and being close to Jesus, we can have victory in Jesus. And because of that, we can walk in confidence. And this morning, I want to set the stage for you just a little bit where we are in 1 Corinthians so you kind of know what we're jumping into. Um, we find out um, from the book of Acts that the author of this, this book, the Apostle Paul, he had actually visited this very affluent, this very busy, very sophisticated city called Corinth. All right, And while he was there, God did amazing things. In fact, several people came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they believed um, later, 
the church, after Paul had left, later the church, they would write this letter to Paul. Now, we don't have this letter written for us. We, we can't see it today. But we know that they would write this letter to Paul, and he would respond to them, okay, answering a lot of the questions that they would have. And that response is this letter that we have for us today in God's Word, 1 Corinthians. So, whether or not you um, have a relationship with Jesus coming in this morning, or whether or not you're just trying to figure some things out, I believe that this, this portion of Scripture, it speaks to all of us. And I pray that it would draw you closer and closer to Jesus. So with that in mind, let's read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. It says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? This morning, I want to share with you five truths. So if you have your listening guide, I'd encourage you to pull those out. But five truths from this passage that speak to this idea that we can walk in confidence together. We can walk in confidence together. And along the way, I just want to answer a few questions. For whom should we walk in confidence in a united front? At what times do we desperately need to walk in confidence together? And finally, for what purpose should we confidently walk together? And so with these questions in mind, the first thing I would say is it's essential to walk in confidence together for each other. Walk in confidence together for each other. Do I have any college basketball fans in the, in the worship center this morning? Yeah, got a few. Just around the corner, I love college basketball. I'm an Indiana University grad, so go Hoosiers. We've had a few rough years. We're kind of forget about those. Um, but this year, I really do believe that we're going to compete for the Big Ten title. We're going to be back. You know why? Romeo, right? <laughs> All right. He, he, stayed in, he stayed in the state, and we're going to do it. I just, I just can feel it. But one of the reasons I love, uh, especially college sports, college basketball, so much more than the NBA, is the reason they play the game. The reason they play the game. Now, you could argue that there are several reasons for people to play, and I, and I would agree with you. You know, they're, they're playing for the fans, playing maybe for their family. They're just really competitive to stay in shape. Um, in the NBA, of course, to make money and to get that next ring. But I think one of the greatest reasons in college basketball that they play the game is they play for each other. They play for each other. I know for me, when I played uh, high school sports, I played soccer and, and football. I was a kicker for the football team. You played for the person on the field next to you, right? For the person you had been in the trenches with, the person you had three-day practices with all summer, the person you had ran countless laps around the soccer field with together. You played for that person, but nowadays in the NBA, what do we see? They play for themselves. You know, what team can I go to next to get that ring? What contract can I sign that's the, the largest one? But Paul Looking in verse 10 here, he uses this word appeal. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. In actuality, like in the older English translations that we have, it says this word beseech. I beseech you. 
And when we look to the original text, this word actually means to comfort. And I love this, to come alongside, to come alongside. So Paul's not just saying, I appeal to you, good luck, do this. No, but I come alongside of you. Walking in confidence for yourself shows arrogance, but walking in confidence together shows humility. Walking in confidence for yourself creates division, but walking in confidence together creates unity. This means linking arms. This means going alongside of. Most leaders, what you'll find is, is leaders will walk out front and they'll kind of look back and say, hey, come on, let's go. Let's go from the front, right? But that's, that's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying, come alongside. Most leaders, when they walk out front, all they do is they create followers, But great leaders, they walk alongside you and they develop other great leaders. If you feel alone this morning or if you feel divided, I would ask you to to think about a couple things. Maybe maybe step outside of yourself and for the person around you, walk alongside of them. As you do this, as you do it for them and not for yourself, maybe God will then use that situation to mend the division that you feel in your heart or the loneliness that you may be experiencing. Or maybe this morning, though, you don't feel divided at all. You don't feel lonely. And if that's the case, praise God. But let me tell you this. There are people around you that do. There are people around you that do. They need to walk confidently as well. And when you walk alongside them, when you comfort them, as later on John uses this same word that Paul uses here, it means comforter. When you comfort them, they'll walk in confidence with you. Also, in the New Testament, it's also, this word is used to mean advocate. When you're their advocate, they they can rise up and walk confidently together with you. So we need to walk confidently together for each other. But secondly, walk confident, walk in confidence together because of Jesus. Walk in confidence together because of Jesus. So how does Paul appeal to the church. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. By what power? By what source? The source of unity for us must be Jesus Christ. Must be Jesus Christ. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So often we get this confused though, don't we? We get this messed up. We seek community We seek unity based on things that are temporary. And what I would argue is, frankly, things that just don't matter. You know, don't matter in the grand scheme of things. We seek unity based on our worship preference. We seek unity based on our age. We seek unity based on our race. We seek unity based on our economic status or our social status. And unfortunately, when people unite around those things, all that does is create division for people who do not meet that criteria. Paul goes on to say that we should be in agreement with what we say. We should be united in mind and in thought. There should be no divisions. And what what he means here when he says that, what what he means with agreement is, is not that we're clones of one another, not that we're just like one another. No, we celebrate diversity. We celebrate those things here at Graceland. But what it does mean when it comes to the important stuff, when the things that really matter, we walk in step united. And that source must be Jesus. Richard Baxter, I love the way he says it. He says it like this. In necessary things, unity. In doubtful things, liberty. In all things, charity. So I would argue that Paul, his primary thesis 
in the book of Philippians, which is another letter that he wrote to another church, is this call for unity. It's call for unity. So crucial. It's the whole theme. And in verse, one, or verse 27 of chapter 1, Paul says this. If you, if you want to write this down, I think it's important. The whole theme, I would argue, of Philippians is this theme of unity. And the primary verse for that is this. Chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and I see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, again, striving side by side, for the faith of the gospel. Let me tell you this, friends. There is nothing on this planet that can unite all races, all ages, all cultures like that of Jesus Christ. Nothing. I'm going to say it again. There is nothing that can unite people of all ages, races, and cultures like Jesus Christ can. If there is some sort of division in your life, step back, take a step back and see, see what's causing that division. If it's a division with a brother and sister of Christ, in Christ, then seek unity based upon Jesus as that source and as that power. Third, next truth I'd like to, to mention from our passage here is this. Walk in confidence together for the world. So we're walking in confidence together for each other. We're walking in confidence because of Jesus but we're also walking in confidence together for the world. And maybe this morning you've, uh, you've come in uh, into this place or you're returning um, from, from church after being away and you're like, yeah, that's great to say, man. That's, that's nice. But the reason I left church in the first place is because of division. I saw all that really happens inside church. So often people don't come to church because many churches will preach one thing, we'll preach unity over here, but it doesn't really look like unity in the church. And when this happens, we call that hypocrisy. And guess who sees that hypocrisy the clearest? The world. Those outside the walls of the church. But let's look back to our text in verse 7. It says that Paul, he's been informed of their quarreling. You see, word gets around, and they didn't have access to information like we do today. Let me tell you this. If there is division going on, people are going to hear about it. People are going to know it. People might tweet about it, you know? I love the way that Pastor John MacArthur, the way he breaks down the entire book of 1 Corinthians, um, he he basically says that this whole book is uh, saying what not to do. There are so many errors going on in the church in Corinth, that Paul needs to write this and help correct them. And I want to break it down for you the way that John MacArthur does. He says that the first section from, from where we're reading, chapter 1, verse 10, all the way through chapter 4, it deals with division. Chapters 5 and 6 deals with immorality. Chapter 7 deals with errors in marriage. Chapter 8, all the way to the first verse of chapter 11, deals with errors regarding Christian liberties that are being taken. Chapter 11, verse 2, to the end of that chapter, errors regarding the Lord's table. Chapters 12 through 14, errors regarding the spiritual gifts. Chapters 15, errors in the resurrection. Chapter 16, errors regarding money. Now, all those things that I said, all of those things, in fact, like if you read chapter 5, the errors and immorality that takes place, it's, it's gross. It's awful. But how does Paul start off this letter? What's number one on these things? 
division in the church. Division in the church. It says we need unity. You see, that must be our concern because therein lies the credibility of our testimony outside of these walls. And therein also lies the joy of our ministry together. We as followers of Jesus Christ must walk in confidence together for the sake of the lost. To have a testimony and a witness that matters. I would, I would suggest that there are probably people in this room today that don't have a relationship with Jesus because of divisions in the church. I know that there are people in southern Indiana that don't have relationships with Jesus because of divisions in the church. However, on the flip side, I know that there are people sitting right next to you that love Jesus because of unity in the church. Pray that there are people in this room right now that have heard about the unity of Graceland Baptist Church and they're checking us out because of that. You see, church is not an event to be attended. It's a, it's a people together for a purpose. There's another brother or sister in your life that you have division with, repair it now for the sake of the world. Fourth, we see from this passage, we can walk in confidence together during transition. We can walk in confidence together during transition. Paul was only in Corinth for a short time. Most scholars estimate about a year and a half. But from their short history as a body of believers to when Paul's now writing back to them, the Corinthians were confused as to who led the church. They didn't know. You see from our text, some people thought it was Paul. They're like, Paul's a leader. Other people thought it was Cephas, otherwise known as the apostle Peter, that he was a leader. Some of them thought it was Apollos, who was this great preacher. They're like, man, we should follow after him. The church had a lot of transition in leadership, and because of that, division was rising up. According to research done by church guru, guru Tom Rainer, one of the top five reasons that people will leave a church is because there's a change in the pastor. One of the top five reasons. But just a few, a few chapters later, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, Paul makes it clear that it's not the leader. It's not even the people that introduce you to Jesus Christ that should receive the credit. And you shouldn't be a part of the body because of those leaders, because of those people. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the growth? God gave the growth. God gave the growth. How quickly, though, can we forget this? during a pastoral transition. It's not Ray Green, it's not Larry Riley, it's not the pastor that God has in store for us next, and it's not any pastor that came before that gave the growth. Every church experiences pivotal moments in the life of their church, and we are in the midst of one right now. A pivotal moment. It will shape the identity of our church the way in which we respond. Oftentimes, though, in church world, when unexpected changes take place, people become fearful. People divide. However, healthy churches rise up in those transition and they walk in confidence together because they know who sits on the throne. Yeah. Let me tell you, this moment, this pivotal moment, it's not the first, nor it will be the last. But because God is faithful, Graceland will be faithful. Amen? 
Warren Wiersbe, he says this, nothing paralyzes our attitude like, or nothing paralyzes our lives like the attitude that things can never change. We need to remind ourselves that God can change things. Outlook determines outcome. Let me say that again. Outlook determines outcome. If we only see problems, we'll be defeated. But if we see possibilities in the problems, we can have victory. It's easy during the transition in pastors, during a a change in the church life to only see issues or problems. It's easy even to say, hey, when we get a lead pastor, man, then we'll really get back on track. We'll start to grind. No, no, let's do that right now. Let's walk in confidence now together during this transition. It is Jesus Christ that reigns supreme. Paul says, it's not me. It's not Apollos, it's not Peter, but it's Jesus Christ that reigns supreme, which brings me to my final point for you this morning. Let's walk in confidence together for the cross. Let's walk in confidence together for the cross. We need to walk in confidence together for each other. We need to walk in confidence, the source of that being Jesus Christ. We need to walk in confidence um, for the lost, for the world. We need to walk in confidence during this transition. And we walk in confidence for the cross each and every day. Paul says in verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? The answer here is no. It's a resounding no. No pastor, no human teacher, leader that we have was crucified on the cross for you. It was only Jesus. And I thank God for that. You know, our sin was so great though that Jesus had to, or that God had to send his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. And when we have division, I believe that that waters down the power of the cross. That waters down the power of the cross. We can walk in confidence together because of Jesus crucified on the cross. Just a few verses later, verse 17, Paul is saying that this division, that elevating him, that elevating Paul, to the top and to be in the spotlight, all these things, it says, empties the power of the cross. So let's not do that. Let's not do that. We can walk in confidence together because Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. And that very act broke the power of sin and set a path for you and for me to then have a right relationship with God the Father. As I begin to wrap up, let me take you back to the story I mentioned earlier with young Simba. So last, last, at last we left him, he had just seen his father sacrifice himself for him. And he runs away feeling defeated and dejected, alone, and all this division now that exists between him and his homeland. And he goes away for a period of time. But as we see in the story, as it progresses, he makes some friends, right? Those friends come alongside of him in his weakest moments. He begins to walk in confidence and, and not only is he more confident because he's together with them, but his friends now become confident too. In fact, they take on his mission, don't they? Later on, Nala comes looking for food because everything's so bad in the pride lands and she meets up with Simba and she's like, hey, Simba, you need to lead us and help us. And he's like, no, I can't do it. But through her, through, through her influence and, and Timon and Pumbaa, they walk together confidently and he heads back to the pride lands. And we see this wonderful story of redemption. But before he heads back, what happens? His father speaks to him. He says, son, you can do this. Step into what God, or step into what what everyone has for you. And now I'm gonna make this transition and, and this analogy to what 
what we have, have going on right now. And I know that this analogy falls completely short. But I hope that maybe you too would seek reconciliation, seek redemption, that you would listen to your heavenly Father, that we would tear down any type of walls of division, that we would be united, walking confidently together. And in the coming days, coming weeks, maybe even in the coming months, however long it takes for us to find a lead pastor, we would walk together for each other, for the lost, all because of who Jesus is in our lives.